Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, The Heart of a Servant. All right, well, I'm excited about our Bible study today because in our Bible study today, we are finally going to deal with the main verse of the Gospel of Mark. All right, so what is Mark's main verse? Here it is, Mark 10, 45. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? And to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the Gospel of Mark is filled with a lot of sub-themes, but the two main themes of Mark are reflected in this one main verse, and that is that Jesus came to serve and that Jesus came to give his life. In fact, you can divide the entire book of Mark by these two main themes reflected in this one main verse. Okay, and so we've been going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark, starting in chapter one, verse one. We are now in chapter 10. We're in a pivotal place between this week and next week. And so chapters one through 10, if you've been with us, has been all about Christ's service. And that's reflected in the Savior's words, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Next week, we're gonna uh, get into the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. What is Jesus gonna do when he gets to Jerusalem? Well, he's going to sacrifice himself for the sins of the world, and that is reflected in this main verse with Jesus' words, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so once again, what are the two themes in the Gospel of Mark? They are, number one, Christ's service, and number two, Christ's sacrifice. And so on the count of three, like you mean it, I want you to say the words service. service. On the count of three. <laughs> on the count of three. We're gonna say two words, service and sacrifice, but we so appreciate the enthusiasm over there. Okay, one, two, three. Service, sacrifice, service, sacrifice. That is the Gospel of Mark in a nutshell. And so these two themes are important for us as Christians. Why? Because of what the word Christian means. The word Christian means a follower of Jesus Christ. In the first century, for example, you had different parties, different sects. For example, you had the Herodians, Herodians, Herod, I-A-N-S. They were the party or the sect of Herod. But you also had the Christians, Christ, I-A-N-S. They were the party or the sect of Jesus Christ. I hope you're in this party. We are followers of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means that uh, we don't just know facts about Jesus in our heads. That's not what it means to be a Christian. We don't just know facts about Christ in our heads. No, we also, in addition to knowing facts about Jesus in our heads, we experience his presence in our hearts. And not only that, we let it go further down and we actually follow his example as Christians with our feet by living out the things that he lived out. So just as Christ was all about serving others, 
We need to be about serving others. And just as Christ was all about and willing to sacrifice for others, we need to be all about, we need to be willing to sacrifice for others. But there's a problem. There's always a problem, right? The problem is three obstacles. Three obstacles that hinder our service and our sacrifice for others are me, myself, and I. And it all started in a garden. That's when it all started. That's when the problem began, in a garden. When the first man, Adam, chose to exert his will over God's will and eat the forbidden fruit, he was immediately separated from the Lord and he plunged his entire posterity into the futility of a self-centered life. I'm gonna say that again because that's kind of like theology one-on-one and that's the basis of a biblical worldview. When the first man, Adam, chose to exert his will over God's will, what did he do? What he did is he separated himself from the Lord and he plunged his entire posterity into the futility of a self-centered life. Ladies and gentlemen, left to ourselves, we are are all about me, myself, and I. And so at the base of our humanity, that's who we are. Adam passed his sin nature to the entire human race And that's what it's all about, the three obstacles. So at the base of our humanity, our fallen humanity, what are we all about? We are all about self-centeredness. We are all about self-adulation. We are all about self-promotion. We are all about self-esteem. We are all about self-will, self, self, self. Adam chose self-will over God's will And the consequences, by the way, for uh, creation were catastrophic, okay? Not just for humanity, not only did humanity fall, but all creation fell. Do you guys understand, ladies and gentlemen, that this world that we live in is nothing like the world that God originally created? Nothing. We get up, we look around, we read one bad news article after another bad news article. This world is nothing like God originally created it. Why? Because the first man, Adam, messed it all up. But how many of you are thankful for the second Adam? Jesus, our savior, our hero, right? Even though the first Adam messed everything up, the second Adam has come to straighten it all out. Okay, and so contrasting the first man, Adam, from the second man, Jesus Christ, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said this, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, he's from heaven. If you're new to Christianity, Jesus did not begin 2,000 years ago in a manger That's not when he started to exist in the womb of of a virgin. That's not when he started to exist. We believe in the biblical Christ and the biblical Christ is the pre-incarnate Christ. He is the eternal son of God. He is from heaven. And so even though the first man was from the earth, a man of dust, the second man's from heaven. 
And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, good news, we shall also bear the image of the man from heaven. And so even though the first man, Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust, the second man, Jesus, he's from heaven, he's the man of glory. And even though we have borne the image of the man of dust, I mean, look at us, we're, we're mortal, we're fallen human beings, we're flesh and blood, we're here today, gone tomorrow, we've been cursed with this self-centered sin nature that we inherited from Adam, even though we bear the image of the man of dust, good news, if we will turn to our hero, Jesus, the one who paid it all, the one who died, was buried and resurrected, if we'll turn to him and him alone for our salvation, to receive his love, what's gonna happen? He is going to allow us the privilege and the honor to bear his image. What's he gonna do when we turn to him in faith, genuine faith? He's gonna come inside of us and give us an entirely new nature. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not buy into the false gospel of the world that says that Christianity is all about trying harder or Christianity is all about moral reform or Christianity is all about fixing up the old man or the old woman inside of you. Christianity is not about fixing up anything. Christianity is about receiving an entirely new thing. It's about receiving a new nature inside. That's what Jesus can do for you. That's what Jesus wants to do for you. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced Jesus? Have you really been born again? First, he will resurrect us inwardly and give us an entirely new nature. And later at the end of the time, he's going to resurrect us outwardly and he's gonna give us an entirely new body. What a deal, a new nature for this life and a new body for the next life. Why isn't everybody a Christian? Right? Why isn't everybody a Christian? You know why everybody's not a Christian? M me, myself, and I. That's why. And so, man, what else can God do? He did it all. We just need to respond. But that takes humility. And so this new nature that he gives us, what are the characteristics of the new nature that, the Christ, that Christ gives us when we're born again. Is, is the characteristic of the new nature self-centeredness? No, it's not self-centeredness, it's service. Everybody say service. service. Is the characteristic of the new nature self-promotion? No, it's not self-promotion. The characteristic of the new nature is Sacrifice, please say the word sacrifice. <laughs> Service, sacrifice. And now we're in chapter 10. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Remember, this is a pivotal chapter between chapter 10 and chapter 11 because he spent the first 10 chapters serving people. Next week, we're gonna get into it. He's on his way to Jerusalem where he's gonna sacrifice his life. And he's been trying to tell his disciples over and over, guys, this is what's gonna happen to me. Not once, not twice, but three times he has told his disciples what is gonna happen to him. And you know what? They just don't get it. You know why they don't get it? Me, myself, and I. 
The third time Jesus told them explicitly what's gonna happen to him, it was clearer than ever. So by way of review, this is where we left off two weeks ago, I want you to go back to Mark 10, verse 33. So Mark 10, verse 33 is the third time Jesus told his disciples what is gonna happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. And so they're on their way, and he says to his guys, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and do what? Kill him. And after three days, he will rise. It doesn't get any clearer than that. But the disciples still didn't get it. And the way we know that they did not get it is because what happens next in our text, okay? So today we're picking it up in verse 35. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And so James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the fishermen, came to Jesus with this audacious request. All right, so what did this request reveal about their focus in life? James and John were focused on what? Instead of what? You see it? They're focused on self. By the way, is that not our culture? They're focused on self instead of service. Lord, grant that we, not them, not Peter and Andrew, Matthew and Bartholomew, you know, not Pete, Matt, Bart, or Andy, but grant that us, James and John, can sit one at your right hand, that's the highest position of authority, and one at your left hand, that's the second highest position of authority in your glory, in other words, in your coming kingdom. And so the prophecies were clear. If you're new to the Bible, you know, we call Genesis through Malachi the Old Testament. This was their Bible in Jesus' day. And there was prophets that lived hundreds of years ago, uh, hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth, and they had sayings, and they were put down in scrolls, and the Jews of the first century had those scrolls, those prophecies about what would happen when the Messiah came to the earth. And those prophecies were crystal clear. When the Messiah came to earth, he would defeat his enemies. He would set up his government, which would be upon his shoulders, and he would rule and reign over the entire earth. Isaiah 9, 6, it was in a scroll that they had access to in the first century, 700 years BC, said, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It was crystal clear in the Jewish scriptures that when Messiah came, it would be glorious. And James and John wanted a peace 
of the glory. All this talk about Jesus' suffering and death didn't make any sense to them, but the coming kingdom, that made sense. That's something that you could see, touch, feel, something that could, you could exploit in order to promote yourself. And since that kingdom was near, why not lobby the Lord for the two highest positions? Lord, grant that me and my bro can sit one at your right hand, one at your left in your coming kingdom. They dreamed about it. These 12 apostles, not just James and John, they all, I'm sure, dreamed about what it would be like in the coming kingdom. Maybe they could vision, there's King Jesus. He's defeated, defeated the Roman Empire and he is now in that royal chariot and he's going past the cheering crowds and on his right and left are James and John. And what are they doing in that royal chariot as they're going past the cheering crowds? They are waving. <laughs> Am I doing it right? <laughs> waving to everyone. Hey. Self-centeredness, self-adulation, self-promotion, self-esteem, self-will. And so let's see how Jesus has to respond to this in verse 38. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Yeah, right. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left, it's not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. You guys have no idea what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup, inference, the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism inference, the baptism of suffering that I'm about to be baptized with? And, that, and what did James and John say in their naivete? We're able. And Jesus said, and you will. You will suffer. And so as you continue to read in the New Testament beyond the gospels into Acts and to the epistles and to Revelation, here's what you find out. You find out that James and John drank the cup of suffering. When you get to Acts chapter 12, here's what you find out, that James was the first of the 12 apostles to be martyred. He wasn't the first Christian to be martyred. That honor goes to Stephen. He was the first apostle to be martyred, arrested by Herod, killed with the sword. James drank the cup of suffering. Not only that, John, when you get to Revelation chapter one, you find out that as an elderly man, probably in his 80s or 90s, 
was arrested. He was shipped to the island of Patmos. Today, it's a vacation spot. It's beautiful. Back then, it was a Roman penal colony. And so he's shipped, persecuted by Caesar Domitian. He's shipped to the island of Patmos as a prisoner of the Roman Empire. And that's what, we, that's what we know from the Bible, from reliable sources. What we find out around AD 95 is that he lived in a cave and he had to do hard labor in the mines. Of course, Patmos is where he received the revelation, which we taught verse by verse all of last year. John drank the cup of suffering that Jesus drank. Let me just say this before I go to verse 41. I don't want anybody to miss this, but do you, do you see that Jesus is telling Christians, you will suffer? Do you see it? See, you, you'll, you'll probably never hear this on Christian television, but Jesus is telling two Christians, you're gonna suffer. And this is the part that we like to leave out because it thins out the crowd and it doesn't sell books. But this is the reality of God's word. How many of you here were here two weeks ago when Pastor Will taught on the grind? So you heard the sermon or part of it. How, you know, why does the Lord cause us to suffer? Well, here's why because he's using that sandpaper to make us into something awesome. He's getting rid of me, myself, and I. And he's trying to form Christ within us. And so now in verse 41, it says that when the 10, the 10 other apostles, you know, Peter, Andrew, Matt, Bartholomew, and the rest of them. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John, and so they got mad. Their attitude's like, James, John, how could you? I mean, have you no shame? Why in the world would you be so sneaky and go behind our backs and go and make this shameless request of the Lord? The idea is, you know, before we had a chance to, <laughs> right? And so they're mad because why? Because there's always this this thread going through the gospels of the disciples pre-resurrection, pre-Pentecost, and they're always button heads. They're always competing. They're always vying for the highest position. They're always talking about, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. And it's starting to happen again. And Jesus knows that they're at odds. So what does he do? He calls a meeting. He calls a meeting in order to share yet another amazing truth that'll change your life, okay? And so if you haven't been with us as we've been teaching through Mark, I wanna encourage you to go back. All this is on podcasts. All this is on our website. Go back and listen because ladies and gentlemen, we're already in chapter 10. And so you've missed so many nuggets of truth. And so are you ready for another nugget of truth from heaven? Yes. Here it is, verse 42. And Jesus called them, the disciples, to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And they're, you know, the idea there is so-called. They're great ones. Exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. 
But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And so what the Lord is doing here is he's contrasting two definitions of greatness. Do you see it? He's saying the world says, this is what greatness is all about. But I say, this is what greatness is all about. The world defines greatness as obtaining prestige and position and power and then lording that position and prestige and power over other people. I'm up here, you're down there, you serve me. I don't serve you. I'm the boss. You're the peon. It's all about my prestige, my position, my power. You exist to make me look good. Is that not our culture? You walk through the airport, you look at the bookstore, you see some of the top 10 bestsellers, and it's all about this, what I'm talking about right here, with titles that I can't even repeat in church. They so want that position, prestige, and that power. And how does the Lord respond to that definition of so-called greatness? Look again in verse 43. He says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your what? And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. The Lord's definition of greatness is exactly the opposite of the world's definition. Check it out. The world says greatness is about how many people can serve me. Jesus says greatness is about how many people I can serve. Do you see it? Do you see the contrast between the word of God and the word of man, between Christ and the world? It's not about your prestige, your position, your power, and then lording that over other people. That's not what it means to be great. God says, if you wanna be great in my eyes, choose to have the heart of a servant. In other words, spoken another way, we're not great because we're the CEO, the chief executive officer. We're great when we choose to be the CSO, the chief serving officer. Thank you for one amen. <laughs> and by the way, some of the best CEOs in the world are the ones who don't let their position go to their head, but they choose in the position that God has given them to be a CSO because that's their choice. Chief serving officer. I like that. And so this is the message of Jesus. This is the message of the entire New Testament Matthew through Revelation. Look at what Paul says about this. He says, for you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, do what? Serve. Serve one another. And then Peter, later on, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to what? Serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. And then if we'll do that, if we'll have the heart of a servant, if we'll take on the role of a servant, the author of Hebrews says this, for God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in, what's the word? Serving the saints as you still do. If you and I will make this decision today, what's the date? Someone give me the date. Everybody's speaking in tongues. <laughs> September 23rd. 
I got the interpretation. Woo, all right. <laughs> September 23rd, if you will make a decision today on September 23rd, 2018, that from now until I take my last breath, as best as I know how, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm just gonna be a servant. If you make that decision, here's what you need to know. God will not overlook your decision. It's right there in his word. He won't overlook it. He'll reward it. I'm convinced he'll reward it in this life. But that's nothing compared to how he's gonna reward it in the next life. Some of you are new to Calvary, new to the Bible, new to Christianity. You gotta understand there's one way into heaven and that's the blood of Jesus, period. But once you get there, we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And when we get there, we're gonna have to walk in front of the King of glory, the man from heaven, look him eye to eye and give an account of our lives. You see, in a lot of churches, people have no clue. They think when you die, you float up into heaven, everything's gonna be great. Okay, so I'm here today to tell you from the Bible that there is a judgment coming and you will be there. And I don't know, sometimes I wonder, you know, because I'm the pastor and we're the church, if we're kinda gonna go in a group, maybe? <laughs> it's gonna be real, just as real as I'm looking at you guys right now and you're awesome faces, it's gonna be that real up there. And I don't want anybody coming to me on that day and saying to me, you didn't tell me about this. And I'm just gonna go, get on in there. Now, guess what? You don't have to be afraid because he's not gonna judge you for your sins. Jesus was already judged for your sins on Calvary. He's not gonna judge you for your sins. He'll judge you for your service Amen. or lack thereof. See, that's the truth. So, so time's running out. The end is getting closer. Either Jesus is gonna come back first or you and I are gonna go up to be with him. It's going to happen. Today's the day of decision. You gotta decide. It's no longer me, myself, and I. I'm gonna be a servant and I'm gonna sacrifice in the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, his rewards, they're gonna blow our minds when we get up there. And we have not only a new nature, but a new body that's immortal. It's gonna be absolutely mind-blowing. And so we now go to verse 45. We've reached it, the main verse in the Gospel of Mark. Why should we be servants? Here's why, here's a great reason why. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so soon Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem. We're, we're almost there. And when he gets there with his disciples, they're gonna walk into an upper room and they're gonna eat the Passover meal. We call it the Last Supper. And so during that Last Supper, Jesus is gonna do something so significant. Um, Mark, for whatever reason in his gospel, doesn't include it. I don't know why. 
But what Jesus does at the Last Supper fits so perfectly with our topic for today. I gotta tell you the story. And I know 80 plus percent of you heard the story, but what excites me is that some of you are new to Christianity, knew the Bible, you've never heard the story. And so be prepared if you allow him for Jesus to rock your world through this story. So if you're with me right now, say amen. amen. Okay, in the first century, the roads, most of them weren't paved. People, almost all of them, wore sandals. And because they walked around on dusty roads, their feet were always dirty. They didn't have indoor plumbing. Therefore, right by the front door of many homes was a basin of water. And they used the basin of water in order to wash their own feet and wash the feet of any guests who may stop by. And so, last supper, Passover meal, upper room, the disciples walk into that room and they, say, they see the basin of water. You need to know also that the job of washing feet belonged to the household servant. So if you had means and you were able to afford servants, your lowest servant would do the lowest job in that culture and that is wash the feet of everybody else. Now I want you to imagine if we still had you know, this practice today. I know our roads are paved and I know we have indoor plumbing and I know this doesn't even exist in our mindset, but in order to make it more real to you, I want you to imagine if we had all unpaved roads and we didn't have indoor plumbing and we still practice this today. And there you are in your home and guests come over and so you're charged with washing their feet. And so this guest comes in, he sits down on a stool and, and you, you pour the water into the pitcher and you take his big leg and his big fat hairy toes and put them in the bucket and you begin to clean and the water's getting dirty and you're scrubbing the toe cheese and <laughs> cleaning it all. Would that take humility? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. That's what they did in the first culture, the first century in that culture. Now, the disciples walk into the upper room and there's a basin of water, but there's no servant around to wash their feet. And I'm just wondering as they're walking in, all 12 of them, if they're thinking to themselves, okay, where's the servant? Why didn't anybody pay a servant to wash our feet? And maybe a couple of them said, well, maybe I should wash everybody's feet. No, I can't do that. If I do that, I'll get stuck with that job for the rest of my life. They'll laugh at me. They'll kick water in my face, whatever. And so what you need to know, biblical fact, is that all 12 apostles walked into the upper room to partake of the Last Supper with dirty feet. When Leonardo da Vinci painted his amazing painting, he should have had all their feet black because that's the fact of the matter. And sometime that night, that evening, after the meal, Luke tells us this, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded the what? Do you guys see this? I mean, how did Jesus not pull out his hair? This is the last supper. This is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, 
that I'm gonna shed for the sins of the world. I mean, that night, that context, and they're arguing about who's gonna be the greatest. But this is where they were at, pre-resurrection, pre-Pentecost. And so they're arguing. We don't know exactly when it occurred, but at some point that evening, something shocking happened. Jesus, it says, John 13, you can read it later. Jesus rose from supper. He took off his outer garments and he wrapped a towel around his waist. He went over to the door, took the pitcher of water, poured it into the basin, and he started to make his way back to the triclinium, the low table where they're all lounged to have the Passover meal. And there they are, they're arguing. I'm the greatest. No, you're not. I am. Come on, give me a... Whoa, what's Jesus doing? Hey, shh, look. And here he comes, the Lord of glory, the man from heaven, the eternal son of God. And he gets down on his knees. He takes their feet one by one. He starts to wash their feet. Jesus, is this not why we love him so much? And they, no doubt, their faces are blushing with embarrassment. Their heads are down. They're not saying a word, except Peter, because Peter's always got something to say. (laughs) Peter's like, Lord, you're gonna wash my feet? Yes, Peter. You'll never wash my feet. Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Wash my whole body, Lord, right? (laughs) That's Peter, just... Whether he knows what he's gonna say or not, it just comes out. And when he was done washing all their feet, here's the instructions, and it's not just for 12 guys in an upper room, it's for all of us today. If you're a Christian, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Okay, do you see it? The last sentence there. If you see, do just as I have done to you, please say amen. Amen. Because I'm, I'm shifting the responsibility. I've just shared it. Do you guys hear the thump? That's the ball, it's in your court. Okay, you all see it, right? That means you're responsible now if you're a Christian, to obey this command. Do just as I have done to you. Does that mean that every year we need to have a foot washing service? If that's your thing, can't hurt. But what you need to know, if that's your thing, is that what Jesus said goes way beyond a religious ceremony way beyond. What is he saying? He's saying you need to humble yourself every day and display the heart of a servant. You need to serve other people. And so that leads us to a very important question. If the son of man was willing to serve others, shouldn't we do the same? If the eternal God came to earth earth on a rescue mission to seek and save those who were lost. And while he was here, he served people. Shouldn't we do the same? 
Okay, so here's where it gets very, very real. Are you a servant? Just answer it in your own heart and know God's looking right in your heart. Are you a servant? Are you a servant in your home? Husbands, do you serve your wives? Well, God's called me to be the leader. He's called you to be the servant leader. Don't forget that first part. Don't forget, Paul said in Ephesians chapter five, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did he do for the church? He washed their feet. Guys, serve your wives. Are you a servant in your house? Is that your attitude or do you lord your authority over other people? You keep doing that, you're gonna be single the rest of your life. I'm just telling you. Are you a servant in your workplace? In other words, are you the first one there and the last one to leave? And while you're there, your work ethic is up here to the point where the lazy guy's gotta take you aside and say, hey bro, why don't you tone it down? You're making us look bad. You ever been there? Right, because they're gonna, they're gonna keep getting their raises, not because of their job performance, but because of the time they put in. Whoever came up with that? No, you keep arriving early, you keep working hard, you keep being the last one to leave, you keep serving, and you watch what God does. Are you a servant here at the church? Maybe you come in, you look around, you say, wow, these people have their act together. Uh, newsflash, we don't. Wow, these people have everything covered. Newsflash, we don't. We're always looking for servants. who will say, hey, I'll help. Even if it's once a month, I'll help. Right, because many hands make the work light. And so if you wanna serve here at Calvary, or if you used to serve, you stopped serving and you wanna return to serving, you go to calvarypsl.com, you click on next steps, and you click on Calvary Serve Teams. And that's gonna take you to the next page. And so we have so many opportunities for you to serve. You can get on the team that uh, cleans streets in our community. You can be part of our cafe team. Aren't you grateful for the awesome coffee that's prepared for you every single weekend? It's okay to clap for these people. Listen, it's okay to clap for these people. Do you know how much they're getting paid? They're volunteering. So yeah, you should encourage them. You can um, serve on our Calvary Kids team next door with our Calvary Kids. Even if you're a teenager, you can sign up and serve over there. And you can also serve on Wednesday nights with our Calvary students. By now you've met Pastor Andrew and his wife Katie and they're doing an awesome Job Over 100 kids are showing up every Wednesday night, 6th through 12th grade. A community witnessing team, if you wanna share your faith in the community, you can sign up there. Our facilities team, we're always looking for help, fixing stuff around. So Josh Kaprowski is the leader of that. Calvary Kids, if you're an adult. I see, I see some Calvary Kids shirts. Thank you so much. Can we thank our Calvary Kids <laughs> ministers who, who serve over there, your kids. They love your kids, they're pouring into your kids. Parking team, 
Well, first of all, cleaning facilities team, I'm so thankful for them because everything's always so clean around here. But also our parking team, these guys, these gals are outside in 90 degree weather. So, so let me just encourage you. Yeah, thank them. Now, now here's how you can really thank them. Be nice to them. Amen. My goodness, they tell me some stories that happen out in the parking lot and I'm like, and these are Christians? I'm gonna park wherever I wanna park. Self-will, me, myself, and I. Why don't you just park where they want you to park? It's not about you, it's about all y'all, right? And by the way, if you're serving, please park across the street so we open up spots here in our parking lot for new people. It's called sacrifice. And here's another great idea. The 11 o'clock service is always bursting at the seams. And if we're gonna continue to grow, we need more people to come to Saturday night. It'd be great if 100 of you made a commitment for one year, I'm gonna go to Saturday night. Why, because it's convenient for my schedule? No, it's not about what's convenient for your schedule. It's about what's good for the kingdom. Parking team, homebound visitation team. Pastor Bob has is gonna go plant his church in Jensen Beach. We pray for him, we support him. But Pastor Matt Missiano is now our care pastor. He's building teams. And maybe you wanna visit people who can't come to church that are stuck at home. Refreshment team, thank God for them. Donuts, juice every weekend. Our ushers, our greeters. By the way, I travel around by far, I'm not saying this because I'm the pastor, I'm saying it because it's a fact, by far, we are the friendliest church of any church I've ever been to in my life. Amen, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy about that. I walk into a lot of churches and other places and I get one hello and that's it. Hospital visitation team, intercessory prayer team, Thank the Lord for these people. Amen. They're praying before the service over there somewhere, um, past those doors, and, and you know what they're doing? They're praying the Holy Spirit would come because it's not by our might or power, it's by the Spirit of the Lord if lives are gonna be changed. And so maybe you wanna do that. We have a security team, and so we, we're grateful for them. Yeah, we are grateful for them. Because if God forbid ever anything goes down here, we got people everywhere that are ready to respond. They've been trained, they know exactly what to do. And our police officers that are here too, make sure you say thank you to them. Say thank you to them. We have our shuttle team running the shuttle back and forth. We have our video production team. We have our worship team and I, I'm always reminded of how thankful I am that these people lead us into the presence of God each and every weekend. Maybe you speak Spanish, you wanna get involved in the Spanish translation team. We have our meals ministry team. We have our student tech uh, and worship team and our tech team. So there's lots of different areas. We don't, we're not even close to covering all of our bases. We always need people uh, to step up and help. When my daughters, and I'll close with this, when my daughters were growing up in our home, so we have three adult daughters now, 
Um, and they all thank God, know and love the Lord, and we praise God for that. My wife and I are empty nesters, but we raised three girls. And when our three girls were at home, you know what? They didn't just sit around every day playing video games, waiting to be served. They didn't, you know, like Megan, our oldest, when she was a little girl, she didn't walk into her closet and look at her clothes hamper overflowing with dirty clothes and say, Mom, why haven't you done my laundry yet? I have nothing to wear. And Mandy, when she walked into the girl's bathroom, didn't say, Dad, why haven't you cleaned this bathroom yet? And Mary, our youngest, didn't walk into the kitchen in the morning for breakfast and plop down and say, is anybody gonna make breakfast this century? That never happened in our house. You know why? Because our three girls pitched in and helped. They did chores. You say, why? Because they're part of the family. Is this your family? Listen, is this your family? Or do you just just come and sit and listen to the sermon and leave? If this is your church family, you say, well, how can I pitch in? Connect, serve, grow, invite, and give. Connect, weekend service, and in a Calvary group. Serve on one of the ministry teams, even if it's just once a month. Grow in your personal relationship one-on-one with you and Jesus through the word, prayer, and worship. Invite people with those cards we put on the seat to come to church and to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And give. Give of your, 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 your um, first fruits to the Lord and to his ministry because we're family. And so God bless you guys. I love you guys. I hope this won't just be a message for your head I hope it'll go to your heart and to your feet. I love you. Pastor Andrew.